today, and, and kind of wrapping up this series, I wasn't really planning on turning it into a series, but it kind of became a series. We're going to talk about hope's plan for your life. Hope's plan for your life. Any planners out there? <laughs> wow, many of you. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I love making plans. Anybody remember back in the day when they used to have day planners? Some of you still use those? Okay, so there's something to be said for using the pen still, right, and just writing stuff out. But my, my handwriting is atrocious. So I like to use the phone app, the reminders and the calendars and all the notes and all. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? But here's the thing about planning, okay? I tend to over-obsess about the details. And I can get so far out and I can make my plans my five-year plan. And my 10-year plan, oh, you better believe I got a 20-year plan too. <laughs> my wife is still wanting to be cute in all of that, but the reality is that sometimes I can over-obsess, and sometimes you can over-obsess about details and planning, and we get so excited about it, we get so wrapped up in it. But here's what I've noticed. As much as I like to plan my schedule and my day and my life and my world, sometimes God surprises me. Sometimes life has tricks up its sleeve that I wasn't planning on or wasn't counting on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you make your plans and something else entirely takes place. I've been there multiple times. In fact, I'm usually there more often than not, if I'm being honest. So we love to make our plans. And, and, and the Bible talks about this in actually the book of Proverbs, which I love. And it says this in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. I'm going to read this from the NLT, and then we'll jump back in the ESV today. But it says this, we can make our own plans, verse 1, but the Lord gives the right answer. The Lord, the Lord gives the right response. Isn't that amazing? And then just a few verses uh, below it in verse 9, it says the same thing in a different way. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And I think if we're being honest, many of us actually spend a lot of time not on planning, but trying to achieve the outcome we really want. See, we're not really interested in the plan as so much as getting that outcome, getting that thing to happen the way we want it to. And we do life according to what we want to see happen, and we're trying to determine our steps. But the scriptures remind us that God is actually the one that is the best director of our steps. He's the one that can determine and make sense of and order and align us in such a way that we're moving in the right direction. Why? Because I believe hope has a plan. And so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture. It's kind of called the, the hope passage, and it's in Jeremiah 29. And uh, I want to direct our attention to things that I think are sometimes overlooked or perhaps missed in Jeremiah 29, for those of you that are familiar with it. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Jeremiah 29, it starts off talking about the people of Israel. And they had been placed into captivity uh, from Jerusalem and brought into exile in Babylon. And we discover that God actually had sent them into exile because their hearts had become corrupted with idolatry and because they turned their back on God. And they said, you know what, God, we can plan our own life. We don't need you. We're good. We've got our day planner and we got our schedule and we got all of our compartments and everything that we like to put our life into. So God, we're good. And so God goes, okay, all right, well, we'll see how, how well that works out for you. And so he sends them into a, a season and period of exile. And, it, and this, this period of exile lasts for about 70 years, okay? And at the time of this exile, there was a ruler, a king in Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you have probably heard that name before if you've been in church. 
And it's at this time that the word of the Lord via a messenger comes to him, and that's where we'll pick up our story today, beginning in verse 10, focusing on verses 10 through 14. If you brought your Bibles, open them up. We'll have it on the screen. They also have these amazing things called apps, and you can download the Bible on your phone. Might be the best thing you do today. Okay, beginning in verse 10, reading from the ESV, it says this, For thus says the Lord, this is the Lord's word to the people, through the messenger speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, meaning back to Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, plans for good. Plans not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. Now time out. Many of you have seen this verse etched on decorative frames. Some of you have it on your your bumper stickers. Some of you have the t-shirt, and that's amazing. But I think sometimes we stop too soon because I believe hope's plan for our life is actually framed in the following verses. How God's good plan to give you a hope and a future is actually intended for you to live. How, how, how you, it's intended for you to live. And here it is, and I love this, verse 12. Then, okay, then, that's a, that's a markation right there. Then you will call upon me, and you will come, and you will pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, now we're starting to see a plan unfold here. And I will be found by you, verse 14, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations, all nations, and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. So, not only does a good God have good plans, but he also has a a process for how he wants that to unfold in our life. And I believe there's three primary things that we're going to look at today. Just three. There might be others. We're going to focus on three things that I see in this text that I think help us to understand God's plan of hope for our life. Are you guys ready for it? All right. Number one, to call upon God. Number two, to seek and to find God. And number three, to be restored by God. So let's look at the first one, to call upon God. He says this in verse 12, I believe. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. God, through his prophet Jeremiah, is telling the people that when they call upon him in prayer, he will hear them. That in and of itself is a radical statement. It's powerful. Because God is assuring his people and I believe vis-a-vis us as the people of God, that when we pray, he hears us. When we call upon him, when we come and we lift our voice and we raise our voice, he hears us. And can I tell you something else? Prayer is powerful. Is Jesus calling? (laughs) Yes, Lord. (laughs) Prayer is powerful. Amen? Prayer changes things. And I believe Hope's plan for our life is that we would become a people that are passionate about prayer. At Courageous Church, one of our core values, and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over, and that's okay. I hope you get tired of it. 
But one of our core values is that we are a people passionate about prayer. We believe prayer changes everything. And here's the cool part. More importantly, we believe prayer changes you. It changes the heart of the prayer. And God, in his sovereignty and in his wisdom and in his goodness, somehow, (laughs) this is how much he believes in you, somehow has allowed us to partner with him through prayer to see the reality of heaven become the reality of earth. Isn't that how Jesus taught the disciples to pray? Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. This is how I want you to pray. This is the framework for how you and I are to approach God when we pray. And so Jesus gives us this this new paradigm, really. He's not giving us just a new vocabulary, although that's a great place to begin. He's giving us a new paradigm that invites us into a relationship where when we pray, we know that God's going to hear us. And we come to him with expectation because we have this hope, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we know that he has a purpose for us. And so we can trust the unfolding of that plan. And part of how he unfolds it is through prayer. Is when you and I as the church become a people that are passionate about prayer. And for some of you, you've come from religious traditions that told you you have to have all of this proper language and prose, and it has to be flowing and elegant, using big theological terms. But that's really not the heartbeat of God. It's great if that's how you pray. You do you. But I believe that it's simple. It's doing what the scriptures say here. Come to me, call upon me, and I will hear you. It's just raising your voice and saying, God, I need you today. Lord, you know I'm about to walk into a difficult situation. I'm about to to be reunited with somebody I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm I'm a little nervous about it, and I need need your help. Lord, I'm nervous about the promotion. I don't know if I'm going to get it. And God already knows what you need before you pray. That's kind of the beauty. But once again, it changes your heart. It conditions your heart to begin to discern and to realize the presence of God and to see where he wants to operate in through your life. Because prayer is powerful, prayer changes everything, and prayer changes you. And so that's what we see in this text. We see this God telling the people of Israel, when you call upon me and you come and you pray to me, I will hear you. The I wills of God in the scriptures are very important to pay attention to, by the way. That was for free. We also believe that as a people that are committed to and and engaged in being passionate about prayer, that God invites us to pray boldly and audaciously. We don't believe God is put off by audacious requests. In fact, we believe he loves them. He loves them because when we come to him in faith and we put a demand on who he is, it tells him that we trust him. And it tells him that we believe that he's big enough to do what he said he will do. And so that's a part of the process of becoming passionate about prayer. Hope's plan is for you and I to learn how on an everyday basis, to call upon God. To not just wait till when we need him. Ah, crisis is hit. I'm panicking, I'm drowning. God, where are you? But to take the time each and every day to call upon him. And his word says that when you do, he will hear you. Isn't that good? Number two. Uh, Next, I believe hope's plan for your life is to seek and to find God. We see it in the very next verse. You will seek me. And you will find me when, here's the kicker, you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God, through his prophet Jeremiah, is once again telling the people to seek him, 
to pursue him. And he says that when they do, they will find the one that they seek. And here's the astonishing thing about seeking God that I found within my own life and journey. When we actually seek after God, you know what we discover? That he's actually been seeking after us. That he's actually been already pursuing us. As it was for Israel, I believe so it is for us. God's heart has always been for his creation, for his people, and for his family to know him. That's the heartbeat of God. He's not hiding himself from you. I'm going to run over here now. He's hiding himself for you. I want to make that distinction. Because some of us were like, well, God, where are you? Like, I'm seeking you. I don't understand. And he's going, no, 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 you don't understand. The sacred things, the things that are, that, are, that are full of worth in your life are not things that you tend to leave out on the front porch, are they? Ladies, your wedding ring, for those of you that are married, when you go to bed at night, you don't just go toss it on the ground, right? You don't just throw it out on the countertop. The things that are of value to you, you hide them away. You store them. Why? Because they have value, because they have worth. And God wants you and I to seek him with all of our heart so that we can discover the more valuable things, the things that you'll only find in his presence, the things that you only find when you commit yourself to engage with him in prayer. That's the beauty of a God who wants us to seek him with all of our heart. He's not playing cosmic peekaboo. No, he just wants you to pursue his heart. And, and the scriptures tell us in the New Testament that as we draw close to him, he draws close to us. Why? Because he wants to respond to hearts that are hungry. He wants to respond. For those of you that, that, that and this, this analogy breaks down at some point, but for those of you that have been in a loving relationship with somebody, there's nothing better than when the two of you are pursuing each other, right? We, we sometimes get into selfish mode where we're like, we just want everybody to pursue us and we don't want to do, pursue them. All right, maybe that's just me, I don't know. But sometimes we, we, we lean on this idea that once I get my needs met, then I'll respond and reciprocate. But that's not what we see in our relationship with God. Every step we take toward him, he goes, yeah? Hey, God, I, I really, I could use your help today. I'm, I'm, I need your wisdom. Okay, son, what can, I give, what can I give you? What good gift do you need access to today? That's the heartbeat of God. Hope's plan for our life is that we would seek him and find him. He says, when you do this with all of your heart, that's a phrase used quite often throughout scripture. And really it's just meaning that he's number one. He's the pursuit of your heart. It doesn't mean that you're gonna do it perfectly. None of us can. But it means that you've set your affections on Jesus and you're devoted to pursuing Jesus. I believe that one of our core values at this church is a life devoted to Jesus. A life that says, I'm going to seek after Jesus. I'm going to pursue Jesus with all of my heart. And when, I, when that's directed toward Jesus, when it's about seeking him and pursuing him and loving him, we enter into greater intimacy with him. And I believe that the goal of discipleship for those of us that are becoming like Christ, that are following Jesus, that are loving Jesus, that are serving Jesus, the goal of all that is intimacy with God. It's greater closeness. Jesus at one point even says, I no longer even call you servants, I call you friends. All right? You treat a servant differently than you treat a friend. In this context, an ancient context, 
you know, people had servants and slaves. You treat them a little differently than you do your friends. And Jesus was trying to get them to understand that his heart for them is to draw close. It's always been the heartbeat of God that we would seek after him. He even says in Acts, I think it's chapter 16 or 17, you know, he even appointed the nations from one man that they might, the nations might seek after him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. That's been the heartbeat of God all along. And some of us live lives blinded to it. Why? Because we're planning our life, because we're doing it our way. And God says, no, 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 no. Trust me. Come to me. Seek me with all of your heart, and you will find me. Ultimately, our mission at Courageous Church is, is to make disciples. That's the mission of every church, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We call it equipping and empowering people to love, follow, and serve Jesus courageously. That's our discipleship model. It's about helping people to love and to seek and know Jesus because the mission is all about Jesus. On the very first Sunday, I said, we're going to be a church that's all about Jesus. So if that name irritates you, I'm sorry, but you're going to hear me say it just as Trinity got done talking about a few moments ago. We believe that hope's plan for our life is that we would seek and find God. And the scriptures assure us that when we do, we will find him. Hope's plan is that we would seek and find him, that we would find God, that we would discover new facets of who he wants to be in and through our lives. And the last one, I believe hope's plan for your life is to be restored by God. God, through his prophet Jeremiah, says this in the, in, the, in the final verse. He says, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Did you catch that? God will restore, God will gather, and God will bring back. Restore, gather, and bring back. God longs to restore what you have lost. In Israel's context, it was actually their fortunes and it was their land, it was their inheritance. But in our context, perhaps it's something else. Maybe it's your innocence. Maybe it's your freedom. Maybe it's your dreams. Maybe it's a relationship with somebody that you love dearly. God loves to restore what's lost or missing or even broken in our lives. Why? Because God is a restorer. God is a restorer, and he loves to restore things. Anybody ever watch that show? Uh, it's been popular now for many years, Fixer Upper. I love Home Garden TV. I'm not going to lie. I know nothing about it, but I love watching it. And I love this show, Fixer Upper. And I love this couple, Chip and Joanna, who come into broken places with a vision to restore. And that's what God does in our life. He comes into the broken places of our life with a vision on how to restore it, on how to make it whole again, because God is a restorer. But you know what else he likes to do? He likes to gather. He likes to gather us from the scattered places. Some of us have been living lives in scattered places and as a result, we have scattered thinking. Our thoughts have become scattered. We're just all over the place. We run from this place, we run to this place, and we run to this place, and we're looking for hope, and we're, we're just frantic because we've been living lives that are scattered. And God 
who loves to restore, also comes along and says, let me gather you. And it is in Isaiah, there's a text that talks about God gathering us like, like a mother gathers her, her chicks under her wing. God just loves to gather and bring us in. Come on, come on, let me bring you in. Let me gather you in. And church, that's the kind of heartbeat we wanna have for, for this community and for this valley, that we would be gatherers, that we would go out and gather people and say, no, 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 you've been living in a scattered place. Let me bring you in. Let me bring you into the, into the family. Let me gather you and, and, and watch. As you do that, watch those things become restored. Watch the brokenness and the pain and the agony and the addiction and all the other stuff that tries to cause us to live fragmented lives. Watch it get taken care of. Watch it get healed. Because God gathers and he restores and he brings in. And you know what else he does? He brings back. He brings us back. At Courageous Church, one of our core values, here it is, the third one today, is that we are a people committed to doing life together as a loving family. I believe that's what the church is supposed to be about. More than anything in this hour, the church is many things. The term first comes from the word ecclesia, which means the, the called out ones, the gathered ones, is really what it means, God, the assembled ones, the ones that God has gathered isn't that cool? And he's restoring. But what is he restoring? He's restoring family. He's restoring relationship. He's restoring marriage. He's restoring children. He's restoring the original design, the way that he created it. And so he gathers us together so that we can be a family. The church is not just called to be a team, although that's important. The church is not just called to be a flock, although that's exactly what it is. The church is not just called to be an army, although it can be, praise God. The church is not just a hospital, although it is, but at the center of it all, the church is a family. The church is the family of God. And so there are people in our lives, church, courageous ones, there are people that have never experienced family. And maybe you're here today, and you didn't have a good family. And, and maybe just even the idea of God has been shaped by your, par, your poor parenting. Okay, maybe you had a bad father, an abusive father, or mother, or an absentee one, which is just as bad. And you don't know what the heartbeat of God really should look like for you. Or you don't know what, what, a, what a, an actual functional family looks like. Listen, there's no, there's no perfect families out there. But you know what God's doing? He's restoring family. He's restoring the model of the church to look more and more like family. And I believe that as we uh, progress and continue down this path, I think we're going to see a, the pendulum swing uh, real hard. It's, it's hard to say, but I believe that we're going to see God begin to shape the church to look like family again. That means gathering around the table, breaking bread, Drinking wine, right? That's the Eucharist. That's communion. That's what we have in Jesus, the invitation to come together. And that's the picture that Jesus leaves his disciples with, is this picture of family, this picture of what they're called to, which is family. So whether you're single, married, poor, rich, it doesn't matter. God doesn't look at it that way. He sees you as a son, and he sees you as a daughter. And he wants us to come together and to gather others and to tell them the good news about this family that we have. This good family, warts and all. Come on, I'm not perfect. 
Courageous Church is not gonna be a perfect family, but you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna seek God with all of our heart. We're gonna pray passionately and we're gonna gather and we're gonna go out and we're gonna look for those that need a family and we're gonna be a family to those people. And I declare that in Jesus' name. Lastly, and as I close, I believe God wants to bring some of you back. He brought Israel back from the place from which they were sent because of their idolatry, because of their (laughs) stupidity, let's just call it what it is, because of their insistence to have their way and do life according to their terms. God says, okay, you can have that life. And, and, And look where it led, into captivity, into greater brokenness, into loss of inheritance and fortune and land. But because God is so good and because he forgives us over and over and over and over again, Come on, church, we're going to be a people of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eight chances because grace goes further than we know and it's better news than we think. And so God, he restores and he gathers, but he also brings back and he says, some of you, you've been living apart from me. Your hearts have grown cold to me. You turned your back on me, but that's okay because I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. See, when I was a kid growing up in the church, they used to call them backsliders. And you know what? I'm okay with that because God will bring back the backsliders, all right? And here's the reality. Even, even when, here's the cool part, even when our backs are turned to God <laughs> and we're sliding off into oblivion to do it our way, to plan out our lives, God's right there. He's right there. David said, where can I go? If I ascend to the highest heights, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, in Sheol, in the place of the grave, in death, and decay, in destruction, guess what? He's still there because he loves us. And he's not going to turn his back on you or me, regardless of what we've gone through. And that's the good news of his grace, and that's the good news of his gospel. And I hope you receive that today. Lastly, I want to encourage us with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It's one of my all-time favorite verses in the scriptures because I believe it really best embodies and encapsulates what hope's plan for our life is meant to do. And here it is. He says, and I am sure of this, Paul writing to the church of Philippi, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want to say it again. I am sure, eh, I think, uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm figuring it out. No, I am sure of this. I'm positive. I can count on it that he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning, God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts, and that's the point of hope's plan for our life, is that God will ultimately finish what he begins in and through you. Why? Because he's the author, and he's the finisher. He's the alpha, and he's the omega. He's the source and the destination. He's the creator, and he's got a vision of restoration for your life. He's got a vision of family for your life. He's got a vision of bringing you back, so much so that your ladder will be better than the former. For some of you, you've lived a little while on this earth and you're like, yeah, I've kind of been there, done that, 
bought the t-shirt. Man, and we talk about the glory days, don't we? We glory, oh man, if the church could just go back to just streamers and tambourines, oh man, then we'd see the glory. Oh, if, if we could just do it this way, if we could just go back to this model, if we could just use this wineskin, then it's gonna get good. And God goes, oh no, 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 no. You don't even understand. No eye has seen, no heart has has fathomed what God has prepared in advance for those that love him. And guess what? The work that he started in you, he's gonna finish it. He's gonna bring it to completion. You can count on it. Just as Paul said, I am sure of this. Church, he wants us to be sure. He wants us to bet on it. He wants us to get our hopes up, to trust that hope has a name, hope has a purpose, and hope has a plan. And guess what? He's gonna see it through. Because he's been there all along from the beginning to the end, going, come on, come on, come follow me. I know, oh, I know. Yeah, oh, you stumbled again. Okay, come on. Come on. We got this. It's all right. Wait, where are you going? Wait, why are you leaving? Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, with that old song, you know, though I'm prone to wander. That's like little kids. And if you have toddlers, they're prone to wander. They just kind of like <laughs> bump into stuff and they just kind of take off in all directions. Come on. You were a toddler once, so you can relate. And God goes, no, 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 no. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, little lambs. Come on. We can do this. I know you want to do it your way, but I, nope, nope. Get over here. Come on. Come on, the work that I began in you, I'm gonna complete it. I'm gonna finish it. Come on, you just, just trust me. I know, I know it's, oh, that hurts. I know, ooh, that person stabbed you in the back and they were a Christian. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, they were a hypocrite. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about that. But come on, I got a good work for you. I've got hope for you. I got a plan for you. Just trust me, come on. And that's what he does with us. Because the good work that he's began in us, he will bring it to completion. On that final day, when the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns, and I believe that with all my heart, God will finish what he starts and hope says that you can count on it.